This is the Life Changing Conversations podcast. Thought provoking, pioneering, provocative, challenging, and intriguing. And that's just Neil Shah. Neil delves into the lives of his eclectic mix of guests, discovering what motivates them, how experiences have shaped them, leading them to change the course of their lives. Join us in the conversation. Like, comment, share, and tell us what you think on our LCC Facebook page and here on iTunes. Welcome to another life-changing conversation with me, Neil Shah, your host. And as founder of the Stress Man Society, I'm always looking into the latest research to find ways to reduce stress. And interestingly, sex has been proven time and time again to be a great way to relieve stress. The benefits include the release of endorphins and other hormones such as oxytocin, the cuddle hormone, which is what you get when you have skin-to-skin contact with another human being. It elevates your mood. It's a form of physical activity. It's a kind of exercise, which itself is an effective stress reliever. But stress can also keep us from getting in the mood and worse, not being able to perform in the bedroom. And even in our more open society today, we still find it uncomfortable talking about sex, especially if we're having problems or not feeling as fulfilled as we could. And my guest today certainly has no issues talking about sex. Her aim is to empower others to have the sex life they desire. Her name's Sarah Rose and she's joining me all the way from America. Sarah, it's so great to have you on the podcast today. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what you do? So I am a sexual empowerment coach. I live in Austin in the US and um, I've been doing this work for the last few years. And it's um, what I really do is I help people heal through any type of sexual trauma that they have. I help them release limiting conditioning that they have around sexuality that's holding them back from their pleasure. Um, And then create neural pathways in their brain associating sexuality with pleasure. How did you end up doing this? I was um, in school at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York Uh uh, studying fashion merchandising and I needed a PE credit so I took a yoga class. Okay. And that was my first step into any type of personal development type practice. So I ended up leaving New York and I was in Dallas. Um, I began doing a certification there um, all around health and nutrition, holistic mm-hmm. health and nutrition, um, and became really connected to my body through through that and also through my yoga practice. Um, and I just continued down the road of personal development I'm trying out different modalities and ended up going to India. Um, I did a Kundalini Yoga teacher training in India. And um, Kundalini Yoga is actually white Tantra. So it's Tantra without the sexual component to it. Um, so I had a really strong foundation in that. Um, and while I was in India, I met my guru, who is the the, the one that brought us the tantric lineage that a lot of people today practice. Um, so that was really, that was in 2014. That was the second time that I went to India for training. Um, and so that was really when I started down the path of tantra and fully went into that world. Um, prior to that, I was still exploring, investigating other things. Um, but it really just hit sunk deep in with me that this was my path and this is what I was meant to be doing. So I just went full on into it. So what other things were you exploring when, when you came across Tantra? You said you were exploring other things as well. Yeah, I have explored 
pretty much every spiritual modality there is. Okay. <laughs> Most of them I've explored to you know some extent or another. Um, I used to be do a lot of Native American pipe ceremonies, and that's a really beautiful tradition that I love. Um, Sikhism is really closely connected with Kundalini Yoga because of the teacher that brought Kundalini Yoga to the West. Okay. And so I, I did Sikhism for a while. Um, yeah, I could, there's so many. <laughs> so I was definitely a spiritual seeker for a long time. I was raised in the Christian tradition. And so um, having a spiritual part of my life was such a huge part of me that I always felt like if I didn't have that, I needed, like when I no longer had Christianity in my life, I was really seeking for something to fill, fill that. Um, and then if, with Tantra, the interesting thing about it was it really felt like I came home to myself and like came home within my own body and I no longer need, had that need to search for anything. It just felt like I was at peace within myself with mm. who I am and all the desire and need for searching just left. So there's a number of things I want to explore from what you've just shared there. So you said that when you were Christian, so do you no longer associate with being Christian? No, I do not. The reason I ask that is I've surmised, this is my opinion, my belief, that a lot of established religions are actually anti-spiritual. They're taking you away from your connection with yourself. And what's interesting, you talked about your spiritual journey and you talked about Tantra and sexual practice as part of that. Because often people look at sexual practice and sexuality as something separate from spirituality. The, you know, it's one of those things that you do behind closed doors and it's dirty and shameful and we don't talk about it. And I think a lot of that stigma comes from established religion. I'm really ex interested to explore with you that, that obviously, you know, going from a Christian background, as you said, to going to something which would be completely against Christian values in many senses of the word. And also, how did you go from, you, you know, the, the exploration of spiritual practice and then looking at sexuality as a spiritual practice? Because I find that fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's been an evolution. I'm this kind of person where I'm always pushing myself. I'm always learning more, reading new books, taking new classes. Like, I never stop. I just finished a two-year certification program. And the day after I got certified, I was getting um, accepted into a new two-year program and so I started. And so, like, I'm just always growing and learning. And um, so it's been, you know, it's just, it's definitely been a journey. But um, for me, like, when I really started practicing Tantra, it was like, what happens on is we become really disconnected from our physical bodies because of exactly what you were saying uh, with the established religions. They they teach us that the physical body is less than or it's bad or it's dirty, it's something to overcome. And so when we become disconnected from our bodies, we're disconnected from ourselves. And for me, that's where that search was coming. And it's like we have these lost parts of ourselves, these parts of ourselves that we push aside and that we that we don't accept because we've been taught that there's something wrong. And with my tantric practices, I began to accept those parts of me. I began to bring them back into my life. And I mean, even stuff like 
being a shitty person sometimes. <laughs> that's not. That's definitely not acceptable in religion. It's never okay to be a shitty person. But you know, sometimes I'm a shitty person, and so like whatever. I accepted that that is just part of me sometimes, and it's not a part of me that I'm like trying to be, but it's part of being human. It's part of my humanness, and like didn't judge myself for that anymore. I started having a lot more peace with it. And when I started accepting my body and my sexuality and my lust and desire and all these things that make me human, I began to just feel okay with who I am. And, and that's where the true peace came from. How did that feel going against your, the, the, the values you were brought up with? And what was the reaction both from yourself and also from sort of friends and family uh, where, when you kind of turned your back on your, your religious upbringing? Uh, it's, it's definitely been a challenge for people that I've known for a long time. Uh, I, there's a lot of people that are really supportive and then there are also people that it's, it's hard for. Mm. Um, and I respect that because I, I totally understand their belief system. I mean, I was raised in it, so I understand it. And, you know, it's, it's theirs and I respect it. We all have our own belief systems. Yeah. <laughs> and was that tough to go through that to, to essentially kind of you know risk being ostracized by the people that you care about and, and turn your back on what you had been ingrained with as you were growing up was that a tough decision it, it was a tough decision it wasn't necessarily a tough decision because it was something that i had to do for me um but it is there have been tough parts of it and I've gone through this over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, I went through it with Christianity, but then also like with Sikhism, um, when that was no longer my my path. Um, and it's not that I had anything against it at all. I think there's a lot of beauty in that tradition as well. It just wasn't for me. Sure. Um, but I received a lot of um, backlash from that as well. And so I think just any time we're going to step out, make any type of change in our lives, there's going to be some of that. And and I'm very vocal about being a sexually empowered woman. And that in itself gets me a lot of attention, um, both bad and good. <laughs> and so um, just I, as part of who I am is I don't care. Like I'm going, I shouldn't say I don't care because there is part of me that does care. Like we all, we all have a sense of wanting to belong because that's mm-hmm. where our safety comes from. It's from that sense of belonging. Um, but I challenge that in myself. And whenever I have that, those feelings of, okay, I don't belong and I feel triggered. Um, I have the conversations with myself around it and I do the work around it and, um, differentiate the reality between the stories in my head uh, and, and thank you so much for sharing that and this is something that for me is fundamental it's very important many of our guests in fact pretty much every guest that we've had on has had to literally turn their back on their old life to start something new and it's that pivotal experience that life-changing moment where you make that decision where you disconnect from the old to reconnect with something new that actually changes and transforms the course of your life so i appreciate you sharing that because there are many people that will be listening to this that may have to face at some point in the near future or may have already faced a situation where they've had to look at their life and you know decide do they want to stay in that comfort zone and stay in a place that feels safe and feel that level of connection or step into the unknown where 
it, you, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to get a negative reaction or everybody you care about will turn their back on you. And having been there myself, I completely appreciate that. From what you've said, the pivotal moment was that experience of being able to connect with the body. And that's what really started to transform your, your experience. What does that mean? Yeah, for me, it's... Um, so we have three main parts of our brain. And the part of our brain that um, is like the deep, the primal part of it, it often... So that's the part that guides our life. It's the, the, the part of us that's the, quote, unconscious. It's not the thinking part of the brain, but it's the part that um, most of our patterns are in. And so, but there are techniques that you can use to like go into that part of the brain and create and release um, any patterns that are there and create new ones. Um, and so when I started really connecting with that part of my brain, um, that was really the most impactful. Um, that's really what brought me into myself because when I was just in my head all the time, like the cortex, the thinking part of the brain, that's where the disconnect comes from hmm. because that's the monkey mind. That's the part of us that's always thinking about something and getting us out of our bodies. Um, but just like going deeper in um, and feeling connected with like all parts of me. So I do practices that I really explore the sensations within my body. And those sensations don't have stories attached to them. And the stories are what generally get us into trouble as humans. <laughs> the stories, the stories are what stress us out and give us anxiety. And, but the sensations in our body are things that are, are there that can be, that can move if they need to move out of us. Um, and they, so if we're, if we're in pain, like say we have heartbreak from, a breakup and it feels like we literally have pain in our heart. The, we can have this story around the heartbreak, um, but this, and that can feel really overwhelming. But if we actually go into the sensations within our body, it becomes a lot more manageable. And those same sensations around our sexuality or um, just the different, the different experiences that we have, they're all within our body. And so as I became more connected to those, I just became more connected to myself. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. And having done a few Vipassana retreats, it's very much about not thinking uh, what's going on in your head, not being aware of the, the feelings, uh, the, the mental, emotional feelings, but just observing and what's actually happening in your body. Um, so I, I, I absolutely appreciate that. But just help us to understand where was the connection going from just being aware of the sensations in the body to exploring things like Tantra as a spiritual practice? So for me, Tantra is, isn't even a spiritual practice. It's more of a personal development practice. Okay. And it's a lot of people do use Tantra as a spiritual practice. Um, uh, for me, I've come to a point because I also study evolutionary biology and I understand a lot more now the nature of humanity, the nature of our of human sexuality. And so um, I don't really need a spiritual practice anymore like I used to. Um, so while tantric practices are really powerful, uh, for me they're not a spiritual practice anymore. 
So help us to understand, for those of us that don't know, what is Tantra? Because many people have heard of people like Sting, you know, having sex for four days straight and a 12-hour orgasm and the rest of it. What is Tantra? What, what is it all about? Um, so Tantra is a really rich, vast tradition that originally came out of India. And it's similar to, you know, something like Christianity, which today has so many, like, huge variety to it. Um, Tantra also had like a lot of different sects and they were very conservative all the way to very progressive liberal components of it. So it's really hard to pinpoint and say exactly this is Tantra um, because it's not like everybody did the same thing. Um, and then it split off into Tibetan Tantra and Taoist uh, Tantra, Egyptian Tantra. So it it's a very, very vast tradition. In the West, we have Neo-Tantra, and Neo-Tantra does focus more on the sexual component of Tantra. And an important thing to understand about Tantra is that it's really a strong principle of it is going into the taboo parts of society and reclaiming those. And so the focus on sex in the West and Tantra doesn't necessarily come from our obsession with sex or things like that that people often say about Tantra. It comes from that's an area of our society that is taboo, that needs help, that needs healing, that needs awakening. And so that's why we focus on the sexual part of it in the West. Um, so Tantra, um, it can be just it's deeper connection during sex. It's better, more intimacy. It's being fully present with the person that you're with. It's experiencing the sensations in the body and allowing them to expand and using techniques such as breath to help the sensations expand. Um, it's something that really helps in long-term committed relationships when um, oftentimes sex gets kind of stale and boring and people stop having sex. Uh, tantric sex really helps keep that connection alive because it's not the just rote, like, okay, we're going to do this over and over and over again. It's because of the presence, because of the, the breath and the moving of energy during sex with tantric sex, it really helps keep, keep it alive and fresh. What kind of things could someone expect if they were exploring Tantra? So breath practices are really important um, mm -hmm. because our breath is one way to move energy in our bodies. And Tantra really is about that. It's moving this sexual energy. So our sexual energy is really important. It's a, such a vital part of who we are. Mm -hmm. um, it's arguably the most powerful energy that exists on the planet, right? It's the energy that creates new life. And we have this within us, and we can utilize that energy to, rather than during sex, a lot of times that energy is just released. Um, with Tantra, you actually move the energy through the body, circulate it, so that way that energy stays within you, keeping you revitalized rather than depleted from the sexual experience mm -hmm. um, and so that's done through um, breath practices and visualization um, and so one thing that we do a lot is we focus on the sexual energy in the genitals because that's where it generally begins and through visualization visualizing that energy moving up the spine um, to the crown of the head and then 
back down the front of the body. And so it's inhaling up and exhaling it down. And so it's using the breath and the visualization along with it. So that's one thing. Um, and it is like you can't have sex for 12 hours <laughs> because it's just it's amazing and it doesn't have to end there's no like in, in tantric sex it's not so much it's not focused on the orgasm as much it, orgasms happen um male ejaculation usually doesn't happen um at least not all the time and definitely not within the first couple of minutes <laughs> so, that the male ejaculation is something that's very controlled and the man has has uh, his his body under control and he's able to to choose when he's going to ejaculate and so um and he can orgasm without ejaculating as well so that's a big part of tantric sex is is men being able to orgasm have full body orgasms multi being multi-orgasmic without ejaculating uh, and women also because the sexual experience is longer her body's able to open up. She's able to surrender. That's such a huge thing with women in today's society is not being able to surrender to a man. And a big part of that comes from the sexual experiences being not long enough, not fulfilling enough, and really disconnected. And if a woman's not feeling that connection, then she can't surrender. And, and it just takes her body time to open up and unfold in that way. And what does that mean to surrender? The surrender is this, it's a state of, um, it's really getting out of your head for one, because that's, that's where we have a control mechanism is in the, the cortex thinking part of the brain where we're just like, okay, I've got to stay in control all the time. I can't trust this person, things like that. Um, but in sex, when, when a man is able to really be in control of his penis and he's she's not worried that he's going to ejaculate before she's done and she's going to be left hanging um, mm -hmm. then she's able to relax and she's able to let the experience take over without her feeling like she has to be in control all the time um, and so that state of surrender usually comes after at some point during the sexual experience where she's finally able to to let her guard down, where she's finally, it really feels like going to another level. It's like the, her man has taken her to another level in the sexual experience, and that level has a lot more peace and calmness and connectedness there. So, okay, this, so from what you're suggesting, actually the kind of the starting point of this journey is breath work. It's not even necessarily sexual. It's about kind of regaining control of your body. Breath is really important. It's the number one practice that I teach for everything, for being better in bed, controlling controlling orgasm, being able to have more orgasms. I mean, people can have orgasms just from breath without any genital stimulation. So it, I do breath for people um, that are working through sexual trauma, people that are working through limiting conditioning around sexuality. Breath is number one for everything. So, okay, if that's the case, is there something we can practice now for ourselves and our our listeners to really understand the power of the breath? Is there something that you can share with us that we can practice here in the room to really get a sense of what you're talking about? 
Yeah, absolutely. If um, So open mouth connected breathing is one technique that I teach. And the reason why this is super important the, is to have the jaw relaxed um, because the jaw muscles are directly connected to vaginal muscles for women. And so if during sex, the jaw is tight and clenched, then the vagina is also going to be tight and clenched, um, which that contraction, what it does is it keeps any orgasm localized only to the area of the genitals. So when the jaw is relaxed and the vagina is relaxed as well, then the orgasmic energy sensations can actually flow through the body so that she can experience full body orgasms. So that's one reason why having the jaw relaxed is important. The open mouth, inhale and exhale, is important because that type of breath helps to shut down the cortex. And so you're not in that space of thinking about how do I smell, how do I taste, how do I sound, how do I look, what is he doing, is he doing it right, is he not doing it right, you know, all that kind of stuff. And get you out of those thoughts and just into the sensations in the body. So open mouth, inhale and exhale, relaxed jaw. And you can do this as fast or as slow as you want, but keeping the breath connected, meaning no pause between the inhale and exhale is really the key because if there's that pause in between, that's when the cortex kicks back in again. So it's... So is this something we can practice together if we try this out? Um, all right, so talk us through. So we, how do we need to be sitting? Uh, you can sit however you want. I mean, typically, if I'm working with clients, I ask them to lie down on their backs. Um, I like to put my feet flat on the floor or the bed with my knees lifted up towards the ceiling, and um, just because that gives my body more ability to, to move if it starts to feel like it wants to move. Um, but you can also do it seated if, uh, if that's where you're at right now. So just gently relax your jaw and you can just begin to slowly inhale and exhale through your mouth. I generally recommend it to people for two minutes um, every day to get, get get a hang of the breath pattern so it becomes a natural thing. And then I suggest they incorporate it into their self-pleasure masturbation practices. So that way they can, because it's important to learn how to use this breath technique on your own. That way when you're in sex, having sex you don't have to think about it it just happens naturally um and it's also normal if people feel any type of tingling in their fingers um, things like that um, this particular breath uh, practice was a very gentle one um, and so that may or may not happen but but breath work oftentimes people feel really invigorated from it they'll feel like they have some nice energy that comes from it and um, a lot of times people will yawn because there's like that energy is starting to move and so that's normal to yawn, it's normal to cough, 
Um, it's normal to feel tingling. There are different different experiences that happen. So yeah, it's it's the number one thing to practice. You know, going back to your story, I just want to also explore. You know, we're talking about sexuality and sexual practice, and potentially some some taboo practice. Talk to me about your conditioning around marriage, love, and sex before you got onto this journey. The belief system that you came with when you came into this line of work. Uh, for me, it was modeled that you know marriage was forever. It's till death do you part. There's mm. no sex before marriage or outside of marriage at all. Um, it's you know you marry the person that you're going to spend your life with, and um, and so that that really did affect me um, because I I didn't even question it. You know, if you're only taught one thing as a child, then that's really all you know. And so I didn't question it, and I did. I got married young, um, and so it uh, after. The divorce. When I was, I had I had some time to myself, but I immediately, pretty soon after, like fell in love again, and you know saw this man as somebody that I thought, okay, this is the one now that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, and um, and really fell back into that same pattern. Um, and it took some time to to wake up and <laughs> to these patterns that I had and say, okay, like you're just doing this because this is the conditioning that you have, Sarah. Like this is the this is stuff that you can move through and you can live your truth. And so, um, so I it, it took time. I definitely had a learning curve around it all, um, but it was important to me to to grow. And I remember when I was finally with a guy and I was thinking that I should have a relationship with him. Um, but I realized there was, n- there was no reason to have a relationship with him. There wasn't compatibility there. There wasn't mutual respect. There wasn't all these things that are really important in a relationship. And it hit me at that point of what are you doing? Like, why do you keep just going from man to man thinking that this is the one that you're going to spend the rest of your life with? And I, and so I stopped, I stopped having relationships and I began to be with myself and learn to love myself and do the healing work within me. Um, so that way I could be the person that I really desire to be. And I mean, to this day, I still don't have relationships because I really enjoy being single and I enjoy um, just, I, I like having different people in my life and the experiences that, that I have from them and being with them. Um, and I really hold relationship to a much higher standard now. I look at relationship as something that if I'm going to go into it, it really needs to be compatible on all the different levels. And that's, it's rare to find that without just saying, oh, because so many people fall into relationship. You know, they, they'll meet somebody, there's some attraction there, and they just end up seeing each other again and again. Next thing I know, they're in a relationship, and then what do you do? Well, I guess we should get married, that type of thing. Or they start having sex, and the bonds that occur when we have sex with people happen, and so they have these intense feelings, and they think, okay, well, this must be the one, and we have to get married. But there's not really this 
this really deep look into, are we really compatible? Do we share the same goals and desires for our lives? Is this something that we really want for the rest of our life? Um, or, you know, a relationship doesn't have to be for the rest of your life. Like it can be just as, as wonderful and valuable being shorter term as it is be, you know, long term as well. Um, but yeah, for me personally, it, it just took being real with myself and saying like, all right, why are you doing this? Why are you just falling into these patterns over and over? Stop it. <laughs> uh, 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 and given the fact that you obviously came from a background where you were conditioned around marriage being for life and conditioning around love and sex and all of that kind of stuff, you know, you know how did you get to the point where you realized that this marriage wasn't going to work and how difficult was it for you to end that? Uh, yeah, it was definitely very difficult. And there still is stigma around being divorced and you know, because our society's does have the idea that the marriage relationship they're the holy grail um, and so there was stigma around that and the people that you know i knew from my past that have that type of belief system um i felt i did feel shame around that um but i finally just said screw it <laughs> oh well <laughs> And, you know, I guess I've got to the point where I've accepted I'd rather be single and happy than be with someone just for the sake of saying I'm in a relationship. And and obviously, given that your line of work, has that had an impact on you being able to meet potential uh, partners that you may want to be in a relationship with? It's I've met a lot of people because of the work that I do. Uh, and I mean, there are definitely potential people out there. It's always have been, always will be. Um, it's a thing in society to be single, you know, it's always been, what's wrong with you if you're single? And I get this, I get asked this all the time. Why are you single? Mm. Why is someone like you single? You know, there's like, they're fishing. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I, I hear you and feel you. I've been there. I know. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm not damaged. I'm not a man hater. I'm, like, I'm just. I like my life. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the practice you're involved with, obviously you're all about empowerment. The key thing that you've said to, to, to us several times today is that you stand for empowerment, about personal development, about empowering people. What was the reason you chose the medium of sex as opposed to any other medium like coaching or, you know, any other modality? What was the reason this one called to you as your life calling, as what you came here to do? Well, because of Tantra, uh, that's the main reason why. Uh, and also because it is the most taboo part of our society, especially for women to be sexually empowered is, is really not acceptable. And so uh, I, there's so many relationships that are really suffering because of this disempowerment. You know, we go from being taught that sex is dirty, bad, shameful, all this and don't have it, don't do it. And then we're in a relationship and all of a sudden we're supposed to be sexual. We're supposed to be, you know, fulfilling each other sexually. We're supposed to be orgasming. And, but our bodies and our brains don't work that way. And so I've seen how relationships suffer over and over and over because of this. And I have the tools to really help people be able to change those patterns that they have so that way they can be in relationship and have be sexually satisfied and so 
I mean, that's it's a big deal. People relationship in all of the time because of sexual dissatisfaction. What does owning our sexual power do for us? What what benefit can we gain by reclaiming our sexual power? You know, you talked a lot about sexual power being creative or allowing us to kind of live the life that, that we want to live. What, what, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an energy that we feel in our bodies. I mean, there's no mistaking our sexual energy. Like when we're turned on, we know we're turned on, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that that energy that we have, it makes us feel alive, right? And mm-hmm. as humans, that's our desire is to feel alive all the time. We're here to procreate. I mean, that's what that energy is here for. And so when we with Tantra, we can take that energy and we can channel it into other creations in our lives rather than just procreation. Um, but it's like that only our sexuality is really allowing that those sensations of being alive to permeate our entire life and to flow into our businesses, to flow into our relationships, to flow into our creative endeavors, whatever it is we want to do. But it's that owning our sexual energy, owning our sexuality, that sexual power is, is just reclaiming it, saying, yes, this is part of me. This is who I am. And I'm not ashamed of it. And it makes me glorious. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I guess I, from a personal perspective, I have an understanding of this concept because I'm a triathlete and, um, you know, the last few big races I did, um, my coach instructed me not to have sex and not to masturbate three or four days before a big race. Um, I've been on um, a Vipassana retreat. Again, they suggest the same thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear from your perspective as an expert in this field. What is the reason as preparation for certain activities or whether it's sport or spiritual practice or whatever else that they always suggest you abstain from sex and, uh, and masturbation for a period up until that activity? I think there's two parts to that question. Uh, one is if it's um, if a man is ejaculating, then he will feel drained. And so I think it's the ejaculation component that in the when you're talking about sports that is important. So that way you're not releasing that that energy, that vital part of you, um, that and feeling depleted. Um, also. When it comes to spiritual practices and components, most of the traditions, the spiritual traditions out there, were developed during the time of the patriarchy, which has been a time of sexual repression. And so there's almost, in in every tradition, there's going to be some component of it that's going to put those little seeds in there that sex and masturbation are less than or they're they're not as holy, they're not as pure, and they shouldn't be a part of what you're doing if you're really going to be serious about committing yourself to this spiritual practice. So that's an important distinction because that was the bit that wasn't told to me. It was just point blank, don't do these two things. What you're saying, you could actually use sexual practice as a way of raising the energy as opposed to depleting it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what tantric tantric sex does. It raises the energy, it, it revitalizes you. Um, and so the reason they don't—they don't tell you that part of it—is because most people don't even know that this is an option. You know, if you have okay. sex, if you masturbate, then you're going to ejaculate if you're a man. It's just you know part of the process. So that's why they don't even most people don't even think about it. So Sarah, how would you help me? What process would you take me through? How would you be able to support me? 
Uh, if we're specifically working on sexual techniques, uh, for men, it's a process of strengthening the PC muscles, and that can be done through Kegels. Um, it's also a process of doing testicle massage and penis massage, so that way a man can become really connected to that part of his body. Um, and then it's being, learning how to masturbate for at least 20 minutes without ejaculating. And so by doing that is a, a going up a number scale. So, you know, you get a hard on to a point of like, if you're going from one to 10, um, getting a hard on around a seven and masturbating there and then taking it up to an eight and then dropping down to a five and then up to a nine and then back down to a five and just playing with that. So learning how to have control during the masturbation period. Um, and then and allowing yourself to ejaculate then. Um, and then from there going into noticing that there is actually a difference between orgasm and ejaculation, that they actually occur slightly separate from each other or just don't usually notice that. Mm -hmm. So um, noticing when the orgasm happens slightly before ejaculation um, and then allowing and then doing the practice to orgasm without ejaculating, which for most men doesn't feel that exciting the first few times that they do it. Um, but what men generally say is once they've gotten a hang of it, then they don't go back. They don't want to ejaculate anymore. While the sensations are different than ejaculating, it feels a lot better and they just feel, they feel a lot better in themselves uh, when they're not ejaculating. Um, and so uh, then it's being able to, to have those orgasms back to back to back. So that way um, there's like multiple orgasms happening without ejaculation and then bringing them all close together so that way it's a like a really extended orgasm so um and then after that i teach moving that orgasmic energy through the body so am i correct in understanding that that, that practice is known as edging is that right so you're getting closer and closer and then you bring yourself back is that correct yeah that is edging Okay, and, and, and how do you take people through this process? So practically, is this something that you demonstrate? Is you talk them through it? Like, how, how would you work with someone to, to take them through that process? In private coaching, I could actually talk them through the process, uh, tell them different, you know, talk to them about the practice that they can do on their own. I do have a men's course, an online men's course that should be coming out in the next couple months. Uh, that has a guided audio that they listen to so as they do it. Um, but a lot of the, the coaching work that I do with people isn't necessarily sexual practices or techniques like that. <laughs> we generally go more into the, the parts of us that, that really, what is our desire? Um, what is it that we really want in love and sex and relationship? And what is keeping us from having that? Sure. Um, so, so it's a different thing than just, you know, like, okay, this is how, like how you, I definitely do, that is a part of how I guide people, but that's generally like their home practice that they do, uh, during the sessions with me, we're doing a lot of the deeper internal work. From that perspective, how would you help uh, a female client? 
Yeah, so I would give her um, practices such as that. Um, but generally, with women, we're doing a lot of work around sexual trauma, sexual shame, things like that. Um, and wherever the, what comes up with those, allowing her to just accept her body where it's at and not force and push. You know, a lot of times women will come to me, they're like, well, I want to be able to orgasm. And you know, by the end of the first session, it's like she's she's really understanding. My body doesn't want that right now. I don't want my body doesn't want me to force anything right now. And so I'll give her different practices that help her connect, such as you know, just full body sensual massage, just touching herself, um, maybe completely avoiding the area of her genitals because it could be that she's shut down. Her vagina has numbed out because it's been forced over and over to be sexual when it didn't want to be. And so um, it's really just um, getting to the root of each person and, and understanding like we'll, we'll do practices where we actually let the vagina talk and have a voice and let us know like what it is that it's desiring. Um, and so that way women can get to know themselves and it's a really gentle process. We meet every other week and it's an hour session where we're just where we're talking and doing these practices that I have questions and, and things that I guide them through that really help them understand more deeply what it is that they truly desire. And then after the course of six months, I generally work with people for six months, um, they've gotten to know themselves, they've gotten to know their bodies, and they really are empowered by that. I'm assuming that you will have people approaching you that may have had sexual trauma or abuse victims. How do you approach people that have have had experiences that have brought them to you to do this work? Yeah, it's a healing process. Um, and I listen to them. I listen to to what it is that's, that they're going through. Um, but for trauma, I use techniques from Peter Levine. It's somatic experiencing, and he developed it for PTSD. So that's um, really going into the sensations in the body and letting the stress cycles complete. So if, if someone was attacked, they were raped, then they likely had some sort of fight or flight type mm. reaction but if that cycle is not able to complete then it stays trapped and stored in the body so it's allowing those cycles to complete and to move out of them and um, using breath techniques as well to really help move the trauma through the body um, and then gently slowly letting them reconnect to their body in a way where sex sexuality can feel pleasurable Tell us about sort of how your own relationships with sex has transformed. What does it mean to you in your life, in your relationships? I see sex as a much more important part of life. And I see it as um, it's a way to like, I feel energized after I have sex. And I, if I, went, I recently went through a period of celibacy for three months because I wanted to just see what it would be like. And I felt like my creative, my creative energy was kind of like, eh, I felt like low, like depleted. And I didn't have the same spark that I usually do. Like I felt like I was boring and not fun. And <laughs> I wasn't, I, I usually write a lot. I wasn't really writing as much. I was having blocks. Um, 
And so for me, sex is really important and allowing it to be like just a fun expression of humanity, a fun way to connect with people. Um, and I mean, it's even though I'm not in a relationship and just having sex with one person, it's not like I just have sex. I mean, sometimes like I'm half, I'm open to having sex with whoever I want. Um, but it's not like I just see some guy and I'm like, oh, I just want to have sex. And so I just do like, I, there's gotta be a connection there in chemistry mm. and yeah, does that answer your question? I guess I'm just interested to, to understand that as you're, you've opened up and reconnected with your sexual energy, how has your experience with sex changed? How, you know, are you more free and open? Have you kind of looked uh, at having sexual experiences with people that you wouldn't normally have considered? Um, you know, has that led you to be more adventurous? You know, in what ways has it transformed your experience with your own sexuality by going through this journey? Yeah, I'm definitely more adventurous, but I, but for me, when I look back to being in middle school, being in like 6th, 7th, 8th grade, and that time of sexual awakening where I really had all those hormones flowing, and it just felt really, felt really alive in my body, and I started having attractions to boys and wanting to wear cute clothes and look sexy, and um and then that stuff being shut down, like I was very quickly taught, this is not okay, you can't mm. dress like that, you can't act like that, um, you know, and so where I'm at now is just being my normal me. <laughs> and without all that stuff that I was taught was not okay. So while I, you know, have attraction to multiple people, that's natural to who I am. Mm. Um, if I, you know, wanting to look pretty and sexy, well, that's natural to who I am. Um, it may not be natural and normal for everybody. We're all different. And so uh, the work that I do with people is really around that, like helping them find what is natural and normal for you without all that conditioning. So, so while, yes, I am adventurous and fun with my sexuality, that's who I am. And it's amazing that you can own that and be comfortable with that. And have you found that that's led to you pushing the boundaries of your own comfort zone to kind of explore outside of you, you know, what you would normally be comfortable doing? Oh, yeah, I definitely push it. <laughs> um, so I, I don't. I don't necessarily uh, need to do that, I guess, as much anymore because I feel like I've really like worked all that stuff out within me. Mm -hmm. um, but when I really still did have that conditioning in place, I would definitely push it because I was like, I am going to get past this no matter what. I was determined. <laughs> and is there any particular sort of significant experience where it's like, I really pushed through a big boundary? So I did a hundred days where I, where my challenge to myself was to push my edge sexually every single day for 100 days. Things that maybe I just hadn't tried them before or um, something that made me feel a little bit uneasy inside or something that I had been taught that was wrong and I just hadn't tried it yet. Um, so for 100 days, I just, anything around sexuality wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm gonna try this sex position or something like that. Um, just things around my sexuality that I felt were still there in place, holding me back in some way. 
I was like, okay, I'm going to go into that every day. And it got to be a challenge, you know, a hundred <laughs> days of like, okay, what am I going to do today? Like, I would wake up every day, so what is it going to be? But, it, but inevitably, like, something would at least present itself to me, even if I wasn't, you know, like, if I was, okay, what am I going to do today? Something would show up. <laughs> this sounds like an epic challenge, and you're going to have to give us a couple of highlights. So from that 100 days, give us two or three highlights of things that where you really pushed the boundaries or interesting, fascinating experiences that you had. <laughs> uh, so I actually got on Tinder during that point. <laughs> I was like, what better place to, to just find people to explore sexuality with other than Tinder? <laughs> That was actually the first time I ever got on a dating site. I had been resistant to dating sites before then. Um, and so I was like, all right. So I got on Tinder and I had my first hookup with, you know, some dude that I met online that I had never, uh, never even talked to before. It was just like, <laughs> and he was actually this super cool guy. I remember uh, he was perfect person for that first experience. Um, it was just like, it was okay. Once I did it, it wasn't as big of a deal as it seemed like it would be. And that was what I really learned during the 100 days was that these things that we make into a big deal in our heads, they're usually not a big deal once you do it. It's like, okay, yeah, so we had sex. What's the big deal about that? Um, but there's like these, the stories really like lock us down. Mm -hmm. And I developed a new relationship to my fear instead of you know letting fear be something that held me back it was something that i went into i, I would feel resistance or i feel fear around something and i would go straight into it rather than like oh, okay i guess i should like not do that because i'm feeling uncomfortable or something and yeah, I, I, I can absolutely appreciate that in many other areas of my life, like in sport, you know, doing an Ironman, running marathons, climbing mountains, etc, etc, like doing things that, um, you know, really push you out of your comfort zone. And some of them hold a lot of fear, you know, cycling around Jordan a couple of months after the war in Syria started. And, you know, these things that, that there will be fear, there's going to be some kind of uh, anxiety around what might potentially happen or what might go wrong. But that for me, that thrill is exciting and I actually really enjoy that. So essentially what you're suggesting is you experience that with sexuality in ways that other people might experience in other areas of their life. Yeah, absolutely. And for me personally, sexuality was an area of my life where I had the most significant repression. Hmm. And so for me, that was really the area that I needed to go into for my own personal development. And yeah, and absolutely, I get that. It's about facing your fears and, and, and looking at the things that have held you back due to conditioning. So any other highlights of your 100 day experience? So I did do some experimenting with BDSM during mm -hmm. that point, which I hadn't done before. Uh, and I actually found that it's a really cool practice. The people that do it are awesome. They're, they're generally like normal people that are just like, exploring the different boundaries that, of the physical body um, and taking the sensations to to higher states and it's not as weird as society makes it out to be uh, it's been I, pretty much normalized by 50 shades of gray now everyone and their mother is into to, to bdsm following those <laughs> movies right 
Yeah, there's, I mean, there's still, whenever I talk about it, there's a lot of curiosity, but there is still a lot of people that are like, wow, you know, thank you for talking about this because it's, it, it is still a taboo thing. Um, and, you know, people may, there's one thing for society to think like, oh, it's, it's interesting or, you know, this cool movie. And there's another people, another thing for people actually be out there talking about like, oh yeah, this is something that I do. It still is like kind of in the sexual shadow, mm. I think. Um, I had anal sex during that time, which was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time for that. Uh, yeah, I think those are some of the highlights. And then you know that again, that's another massive taboo in modern society. That the, you know there are certain things that we're told are bad that you don't do that. Um, and given that this is what you you do for a living, and you're very open, and I appreciate your candidness and willingness to explore this subject in in full detail. And obviously, you do have two children. Are they aware of what you do for a living? Is this something you've talked to and explained to them? Um, yeah, I mean, my kids, they, they know what I do. I think as, as a parent, the most important thing that we can do is live our own authenticity. Absolutely. And let our kids see that. And that gives them permission to live in their own authenticity in their lives, whatever it may be for them. And so as, you know, somebody who is really just living my life the way that I want to live my life and, you know, not allowing society or anything to dictate that, I'm giving my kids permission to do the same in their lives. And I, I do talk with my kids about society and the, the things that, um, that they do need to do because they are a part of society. Of course. And, and because it's, I, I think it's important for them to understand both sides. Like there's, there are certain societal etiquettes that are mm. important to follow, and um, things that just help us coexist better with people. Totally. Um, and so, like, but being able to understand that there's two sides of it. That just because society has, you know, formed in a certain way doesn't mean that that is the best way. It doesn't mean that it's the right way. It doesn't mean that it's the only way. And so, like, we have these these real conversations about it. So that's wonderful that you're able to be open because, you know, a lot of people aren't. And I think that that obviously is where people develop a poor relationship with their sexuality. Right. As parents, if we model for our children that sex is healthy and that sex is normal, then that's the imprint that they'll have going forward. So Sarah, I want to finish by, I'd really like to discuss with you, what, what is your mission? What's the bigger picture? What do you hope to achieve in the world with the work that you do? Yeah, I'm excited to be a leader in this sexual revolution and the sex positive movement that's happening. And it's something that is, is kind of, it's grown out of the feminist movement. Um, and while there's, you know, there's shadow sides to that as well, um, it's what I'm desiring to do is really bring the heal, the deep healing possibilities to people. And so that way they can be whole in themselves, have the relationships, the sexual experiences that they desire that really help them feel alive, that go into, you know, all parts of their lives. But the bigger picture is really seeing this movement sweep the planet and for for us to be able to be sexual and for that to be normal and healthy and happy, 
and for us to feel bliss when we're in sex and not feel shut down and shamed. Um, I mean, I've been an activist since I was a kid. I've always had a cause. So <laughs> it's like, I mean, I've gone through my different causes over the years. Um, but, but, but yeah, just really seeing the planet shift and transform through sexual awakening. Oh. I would love to, you know, be integral in any in things that go to the Supreme Court, you know, around sexuality, um, sexual freedom for people, um, people that are repressed sexually, whether it be um, trans, gay people, things like that. Um, I'd like to be a part of funding scientists that are researching sexuality because especially female sexuality, there's not a lot of research around it. Um, and those that try, they often, because it is taboo, their funding is taken from them. Mm -hmm. So I have you know, a goal to have a lot of money and to be able to be able to fund these scientists that are trying to do this, to do this groundbreaking work. You know, things like that, that are really going to be able to affect us on a massive global scale. Well, listen, it was absolutely wonderful. We'll make sure all the links are posted um, along with uh, the audio so people can uh, easily access uh, your website and find out about your coaching programs, your online programs. It's been absolutely wonderful having you on today and good luck with your programs. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. You've been listening to the Life Changing Conversations podcast with Neil Shah. This podcast was produced by Change Your World Events in collaboration with the Stress Management Society. Like, comment and share and keep the conversation going. Hashtag LCC podcast.